Yo, this is Rare Kev from Rare Art Labs, and now you're tuned in to Art, art, art on the Block This, this is Ruth Catlow from Furtherfield. You're listening to Art on the Block The podcast for crypto art and music. This is Cryptography. This is Sam Hart. This is Miss Judy. Yep, yep. Hello, this is Drop Buster. From Dada.NYC. We're listening to. And we're back, episode 23, Art on the Blockchain, A-O-T-B. Ladies and gentlemen, gentlemen. We'll get to that real quickly so you can listen to Chris. Uh, Number one, and I'm doing this by date, uh, July 26th, there was a what is called the world's first blockchain poetry auction uh, created at a nifty hackathon. There's an article, this article is by Allison McGuire. It's held in Hong Kong. Uh, the interesting thing about it, it, of course, it was poetry, so that was interesting all by itself. According to her article, it says the blockchain poetry auction is a collaboration between CoinFund, a prominent crypto asset focused investment firm based in Brooklyn, New York, and Uniques. Io, a London-based software development company building UNIQX, a decentralized marketplace for the ownership and trading of digital assets. So that was kind of cool, especially something like poetry as opposed to fine art and music. Um, on number four, or number two, August eighth, uh, SoundCloud Alternative. It's a company called Audius, A-U-D-I-U-S. It raised 5.5 million dollars. This article was by uh, Duncan Riley. According to article, Series A, a Series A round was led by General Catalyst and Lightspeed, uh, with participation from Kleiner, Perkins, Pantera Capital, 122 West, and Escalta Ventures. It's just interesting to think of a um, uh, popular. Well, the whole point of SoundCloud is that the the general public can participate and upload things. So I guess it'll be interesting to see uh, how much of an alternate alternative it is to SoundCloud. Um, Hopefully they can get above 128 megabytes. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. 5.5 is not a lot compared to what we've seen in this space, but, you know, we'll see. Uh, good luck to them. Um, on August 20th, there was an announcement that a music festival, Ultra Taiwan, will use blockchain technology to manage on-site transactions. According to this article published on August 20th, over 35 vendors will use blockchain technology for sales. Which blockchain? Um, doesn't say. Okay. The article doesn't say. Um, number four, uh, August 23rd, 2018 article. Uh, it's entitled Best Blockchain Art Projects. Articles by Torsten Hartman. 
He identifies six of them. Number one, CryptoKitties. Number two, Scarab Experiment. Number three, Bitcoin Monument. This in the Slovenian Alps, which I didn't know there was such a thing, such a place. Number four, Rare Pepe Trading Cards. Number five, Anime Coin. And number six, Messinius Decentralized Art Gallery. It was kind of a, I think, a conservative uh, list, but it was kind of cool to see Rare Pepe in in this in this list yeah. uh, recently published. And last but not least, on August 27th article, uh, Music Life uh, raised $5 million to uh, create distributed music with artificial intelligence and blockchain technology. This article is by Kyle Wiggers. Um, what Music Life does in terms of its platform, it offers paid and free access to music. Songs are free to listen for the first 50,000 plays, and then the price will vary based on AI-powered system that determines price based on popularity. Um, hmm. So it'll encourage, you know, uh, probably the same songs being played over and over and over again. But um, it'll it be interesting to see how AI uh, is used to encourage, um, you know, a popularity, not necessarily. The, best song but popular music um they have created two virtual currencies on this uh, platform one unique feature is that they have developed a hardware system that protects against piracy so uh that's that's kind of interesting where there's an introduction of hardware uh so we've got a, a link to that and that's the top five awesome um before we get into the uh interview with chris um we have if you're in the dc area we have a uh cool thing going on for three mondays in a row starting september 17th i believe and uh we'll put a link at the bottom just through the uh walla dc which is it's washington area lawyers for the arts and um they're helping us uh basically present uh kind of intro to creatives and blockchain and crypto art and crypto kind of everything we talk about here we're gonna um be, have some classes going over all this stuff for hopefully uh professionals in the area and artists and people interested so go ahead check it out sign up it'll be very fun we'll we'll even give you some stickers and you'll leave with some information some packets and stuff and we have a lot of fun doing it and we think it's necessary education in this space is mandatory before we're going to see mainstream adoption so check that out we uh we had some interesting feedback on our last uh, podcast with crypto kitties um with uh, mac um there's been some news in the air about um you know the nifty license do you want to do you know anything about that well, the, the 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 nifty license and the there's a nifty license that uh, this is non fungible um, funds or non fungible tokens mm-hmm. is basically it's a it's a way of pronouncing the the acronym. Nifty, mm-hmm. nifty, nifty, uh, so there's there's a trademark application that was filed. Um, it primarily deals with using this phrase nifty on products which is what you get a trademark for it doesn't it's uh doesn't prevent people from saying nifty or anything like that it is intended specifically to uh, identify the source for for particular goods so looking at the the trademark application it's kind of interesting because obviously the term has been used uh 
a lot mm-hmm. outside of of um, I don't know if anybody's ever put it on a T-shirt. I don't have any any mm-hmm. personal uh, information with regard to that. So there's that one element of it, and then there's something called a uh, non fungible token license, which uh, they uh, is it Dapper Labs. Uh, as far as I know, it's Axiom, but it might be Dapper. Dapper is like the subset of Axiom. I don't know which it is. Um, I think it's. I saw Axiom and Mac Cogden kind of going back and forth. Right. So there's a license for non-fungible tokens that has been uh, posted uh, that people are referring to. Um, and my caution, as you know, as usual, is to make sure that it is useful for whatever it is that you're doing. That uh, don't take it. Um, as is, uh, always make sure that it is applicable to what it is that you're that you're doing. So read it; it's pretty pretty short. Um, but that that being said, it's it's kind of uh, becoming something other than what the intent was. A non fungible token is not. There are there is no patent, as far as I know, on that. It's a general term that is describing a type of token so it's created some controversy because people use it as a description of a of a type of token a fungible token versus a non-fungible token nifty 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 nobody can be prevented from pronouncing the the acronym that way so that's the interesting thing about the trademark application itself is that it's specific to goods it's the way it's described is that you know he, they're putting it on t-shirts and things like that um but uh, it's worth noting there are a couple of, and again this is you know i don't know any of the attorneys there i don't know anything about what's going on uh from their perspective We're just speculating um but they have put the initials uh, tm next to some phrases and what that indicates and so that people understand what that means anybody can put tm by anything right that just is an indication that you are claiming a a trademark interest in particular things it doesn't mean you have a federally protected mark at that point then you need an r behind your whatever the word is or whatever the phrase is in order for it to be considered it's a registered mark and and protected by the uh, federal government so um so it's it's you know worth kind of taking a, a deep breath and and uh, thinking about how useful is it is are they really going to be able to prevent people from pronouncing nft as nifty i i don't know how i i don't know how that can be done because what you're talking about is non-fungible tokens versus how do you control it is kind of like when uh Donald Trump's wanted to get you're fired as a trademark. Well, you can't really, yeah, you can you can't really prevent people from saying you're fired. Yeah, <laughs> since people have been saying that for <laughs> yeah, since d- forever. Yeah. People have had jobs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's very interesting, but I it's hard to to know what the the fallout is going to be. But that's the intro for y'all. Uh, we do have a very good interview coming up here with Chris Moss. Let's get into. Welcome to episode 23. We have Christian Moss, aka Manuel Duck, calling in from Japan. And he is a counterparty, well, he's a lot of things, but what I know him as is a counterparty specific developer. He's made games, he's worked on a lot of things that cool counterparty development. 
I, I don't know uh, Christian too well outside of uh, what he's done, so it's going to be good to have this conversation and uh, talk to him about, you know, kind of the future of what he's working on, video games. Um, I know you do a lot of gaming stuff. Um, the Lightning Network stuff I'm really interested to hear about and um, a whole whole bunch of stuff. Um, I, I, I was watching one of your... Well, I, actually, last year I watched you and Koji talk to uh, Krista Rose about something, too. I, I, I wanted to talk about that too, about uh, the the use of counterparty in Japan. Uh, I don't. I wanted to see if it's still uh, growing and as big as it was back then. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, big big intro. Welcome, Chris. How you doing? Hey, it's good to be here. Great to have you. Um, yeah, just just tell us a little bit about yourself. How you got into this? Um, why you're in Tokyo? The foundational elements. Yeah, um, <laughs> I'll, I'll start from the beginning. Um, um, yeah, I'm Chris, and um, yeah, I'm, I kind of make games and apps and work with Bitcoin under the name Mandelduck. I'm currently working from Japan, Tokyo, which is a cool place to be. Um, I got into Bitcoin around about November, September 2013. And um, I used to work for a company in Australia. Uh, um, made apps for anybody who walked through the door and one guy who worked, who walked through the door wanted us to make a Bitcoin wallet and a Bitcoin news app so I had no idea what Bitcoin was at the time uh, but my co-worker to the left of me kind of he swiveled around on his chair with a grin on his face <laughs> and, and he was like a secret kind of Bitcoiner and um, kind of told me all about it and uh, that's how I kind of got started so um, that was kind of more as a professional well I say professional but it was for the client but personally I got started into Bitcoin um, in gaming um, I used to make games on iOS as a hobby because uh, I wanted to make a million dollars with an app mm. <laughs> 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 so I found out it's more it's more difficult than just making an app so um, uh, kind of I, I heard about Bitcoin and I, I was making I was at, I remember that Apple released their new language Swift at the time so I had to kind of learn Swift and there was a, a tutorial. It was like a Flappy Bird clone in Swift, how to make. So I kind of just kind of cloned that and then changed it to a monkey and then thought it would be cool to accept Bitcoin payments in that game. Um, but Apple didn't allow that because uh, you know, <laughs> they don't do that sort of thing. <laughs> well, well like, they do now, right? A little no, bit. no, you're uh. still not allowed to like if you purchase any like virtual goods like game items it has to go through in-app uh, yeah. purchases kind of thing yeah so they get the 30% cut and so I guess they can also deal with like um, you know refunds and things like that you know um, but I kind of switched it around I thought well they won't let me accept Bitcoin so how about I just give the users Bitcoin so I made a simple game called Saratobi which kind of tipped the players in Bitcoin yeah and uh, that was like my first project i guess way back in 2013 14 I think. and that's still on the uh, app store actually i've, I've temporarily taken it off oh, okay uh, uh, because um originally how the game worked was um i just kind of advertised on reddit hey you know if people donate bitcoin to this game the game will give bitcoin back to the players mm. um so it's first started off like out of pure generosity and lots of people were like you know donating bitcoin because it was like the first kind of app that did that so i got a lot of bitcoin for that 
then I got some, I, I, I kind of had a, a deal with a company called Genesis Mining. Yeah. Where they kind of donated some miners. So that kind of paid Bitcoin into the game daily, but that kind of dried up because of the difficulty, etc. And uh, then I switched to an advertising model where the game which the game shows ads and at the end of the month, the revenue from the ads, I would turn into Bitcoin and kind of give it back to the players. But wow. I got blacklisted a few weeks ago. Uh-oh. <laughs> so, really? So, yeah, yeah. It's so kind of, um, I think... When you say you like, got blacklisted, you got blacklisted as an app developer for iOS? No, no, no. no. Oh, okay. For advertisements. I, I almost got blacklisted as an app developer for it. <laughs> okay. Um, but it was the ads. So basically, um, users realize the more ads they click, the more Bitcoin there would be available to give back to players. Uh, and then obviously, once they start clicking <laughs> ads, you know, all the time, then that kind of raises flag. So I, I kind of suspected it would happen, but I was planning, you know, I, I kind of plan to upgrade to Lightning and that's what I'm kind of focusing on now um, with a company in Tokyo actually as well to try and get tips working well on the Lightning Network and use Saratobi as a kind of, you know, prototype for that. So, so it'll, be, of, it'll be a revamping in a, you'll use it as a prototype yeah. again as you did earlier and now it's going to be yeah. for Lightning. Mm. Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. And also, kind of, I didn't like the kind of um, the way players were playing. It sounds awful, but kind of people were, weren't really playing the game too much. So just kind of like give me little bits of Bitcoin. It's like I could have changed the game with a button that, that click here kind of thing, right? So yeah, yeah. I kind of wanted to make it a bit more artistic, you know, so you get tips, uh-huh. you know, a bit less Skinner boxery, if that makes any sense. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah. Um, but, yeah. But, you know, I've just temporarily taken it off, but it's coming back. With, um, uh, was there a Saratobi and a Saratobi Island, or is that the same thing? No, the two different games. Yeah, okay. So, um, Saratobi Island was actually kind of Koji's idea in a way. Okay. Um, so, I think you guys probably know Koji. Koji from he, Indie Square, and he used to be the counterparty community manager. Yeah, he's not with Indie Square anymore. Okay. He's kind of doing his own thing now. Um, I'm still working with him, but he, he's um, running a kind of co-working space blockchain research kind of thing in Tokyo, which is pretty cool. Cool. Um, anyway, so he, yeah, Saratobi Island was more that so Koji and Indie Square and Everdream Soft were kind of the the creators of the Book of Orbs project. Yeah. And lots of people were collecting tokens, but obviously there was nothing you could really do with the tokens apart from trade them. Mm-hmm. So the idea, like, we we were talking about, you know, it would be cool just to have a game that accepted any counterparty token, and that's what Saratobi Island was. So you can use any counterparty token to to kind of to summon a monster. Yeah, that, that's that's on one of that was one of my uh, talking points when I was uh, at the, the Rare Art Conference is that you could uh, use Saratobi Island to use DJ Pepe to summon a monster. When they said. <laughs> What's a utility? That was one of my utilities besides uh, SoundCloud. <laughs> I was like, well, you can <laughs> you can you, uh, you can summon a unique monster in Saratobi Island if you have DJ Peppy. You can't get that monster without DJ Peppy. What the fuck are you talking about? Man? And people were like, uh huh. Yeah, they're like, what? <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> it's like summoning yeah. a demon. Is that like, is that a religious ritual? Yeah, I remember because you know I was. Big in the Pepe's and I was all the Pepe's at the time when you came out with that. Everybody was experimenting with that, so it was pretty cool. Um, 
Also, you you had a uh, kind of, a, I, I think it was the first uh, geocaching Bitcoin token app um, called Takara that I, I really liked. I, I gave a presentation um, with Cynthia actually back in early 2017 at a at a blockchain meetup, and um, that was one of the things at the bar. I uh, created some tokens for the customers to pick up the tokens at the speech and trying to show them how that could work and stuff. Um, I think Takara is uh, under develop re, or you you're only dropping Bitcoin in it though right now, right? No, no. Oh, so we're still dropping doing tokens, everything. Yeah. Okay. Somebody told me in the chat the other, last week or something that it was only doing. It must have been wrong information. But like, so to drop tokens, like not anybody can drop tokens. You kind of have to be whitelisted, mm -hmm. um, which is no reason you need to be whitelisted. But I, I just I, I did that limit because I, I didn't want the database to be spammed with like random kind of scammy tokens or things like this yeah um yeah but yeah you yeah, know that's yeah that's okay right. so that's still all good all right yeah so the person that told me must have died i, I haven't originally dropped a token it was in a bitcoin, while yeah yeah originally it was bitcoin uh, and um yeah then i kind of added tokens due to indie square and Koji as well because they kind of had an, you know, an API to make it easy to do so. Well, that was really cool because some of those those rare pet bays and those SOG tokens, at, um, they became uh, pretty valuable to collectors, and some of them were d dropped when they weren't when they were new. I remember, yeah, and people, like some, some in the ocean, somewhere like on a mountain. Like um, I dropped a, I know I had dropped a DJ Pepe at this record store in um, Virginia in the U.S. and. Uh, I had put even a question on there like what is the name you know it was like I was trying to use it as a marketing tool like for this artist I was managing at the time like he had a CD in the store an indie CD and my I had a question on there like what is the animal on the cover of Willie Ways the CD so you had to actually go physically yeah. look at the CD pick it up and then you get the answer you put it in the Takara app and then you uh, you collect the token I, I think like that app you could speak on it a little bit but I, that app to me is like uh it's it's gonna it's some kind of groundbreaking thing like to me like it's it, i don't think we're there yet obviously but that's like a really good use case for like a marketing for companies yeah like um just kind of originally like it, it was bitcoin because when i made it i didn't really know too much about counterparty and i was at a i was at like a bitcoin meetup and i had a few drinks hmm. and you know when you're a bit drunk and you start to see like pennies on the floor and coins on the floor that aren't there? No, no, no. Don't I haven't been that, that drunk. <laughs> but okay, that speak about that. Well, yeah, yeah. I thought I saw like a, a hundred yen coin or five hundred yen coin here, and I looked down and it's just like a piece of paper. But I thought, hey, wouldn't it be cool if you could just like drop Bitcoin on the floor and people could pick it up? Uh, so then I kind of thought on it and thought it'd be a great promotional tool, like, uh, like. A restaurant or a store could drop Bitcoin in their bar, and the question would be related to the bar. So, like, people would come to get the Bitcoin, but they'd they'd get them inside the door. Yeah. And, um, and then, kind of, we did uh, we moved to tokens, and it kind of took off more with tokens because it's obviously a, a bit better for marketing. We had like a big one in in a Japan. There's a a big exchange here who did like a big campaign where they dropped tokens at like all the temples in Japan, and there's a lot of temples in Japan. Hmm. And you had to race around Japan to collect all the tokens, and the winner would get like uh, like quite a bit of money. Yeah, that, and that was that's cool. That, that was quite interesting because like because of the prize, there were people who were taking like 
one guy he took a plane and two other guys yeah. teamed up so they covered like half of Japan each. That's and, crazy. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. But um, that's still good. I guess I haven't worked on it too. Again, like this is probably going to be maybe a bit of a theme in this podcast. But I'm I'm hesitant to kind of scale or, or to kind of promote anything too much that's built on layer one. Yeah, I, I understand I just that. I, I see apps like CryptoKitties, and then like you know. The, they hit a wall and you know it's kind of like it's fun to make these prototypes but i kind of want to make them all on layer two you know right or kind of remake them all and then really start pushing them more so let, let's talk about that what for the for our audience what is layer two um yeah i suppose it's quite a general term it doesn't really mean anything but i suppose <laughs> it's um it, i suppose you could say that the bitcoin layer one is like it's like you know the Kind of very low level it's a protocol layer it's not really designed to build applications if you try to build applications on it you'll run into all sorts of scaling issues yeah where layer two is going to be like the application layer sim like similar to the internet so oh, the internet has more than two layers but you know nobody builds websites in like ones and zeros or you know tcp ip you know mm-hmm. they build it in html which is layers above so that's kind of the idea and at the moment in bitcoin we're in this funny position where you know layer two isn't really ready and you know should we wait for layer three <laughs> it's a wow. but as a, a developer you know it's an exciting time and lots of work to do um so but, does um, that just mean does more research need to get done in the infrastructure then because that seems to be an uh overall theme too is uh, the infrastructure isn't as robust as it could be. There's there's lots of proposals, a lot of white papers on these things, but uh, the yeah. infrastructure TCP/IP is still you know the standard. I mean, we can't we're not going to be able to get around that. Any yeah, attempts. so I, I, I'm not a core developer, so like you know I, I'm not too knowledgeable on this. But my kind of view on it is that like. Kind of lightning is an example of like a layer two kind mm-hmm. of solution, but like we still kind of we still have a bit of work to do on layer one first. In all, you know, and a few things in layer one that will kind of make building layer two, three, and four even easier. But the problem is with layer one, it, it, it's quite slow to build on, and so it should be because you know you don't right. want to kind of break layer one. So there's like a few kind of things and updates that you know, like. Segwit was one that came to layer one, which made Lightning more feasible, you know, and that took ages to come in, but there's like a few more, you know. Um, but having said that, Lightning is kind of already there, and um, you, I think once you have a layer two thing like Lightning, um, the progress on that will be an order of magnitude quicker than like the progress, say, on normal Bitcoin, because you can kind of break things on lightning without breaking everything without breaking know. bitcoin <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 so just like this lightning is like there's so much stuff like you know there's so many proposals and so many hackathons going on so i think you know once that kind of gets settled a bit more there's going to be like a you know astronomical growth around that um the side chains as well which i think could be interesting there's um like token side chains and stuff like that. Uh, Blockstream launched one that could be interesting. Um, you know, it's kind of it's okay to try. And, it's not okay to break it, but you can develop quicker. Um, and then I think 
um, you mentioned atomic swaps. Mm-hmm. Atomic swaps between lightning and side chains and main chain counterparty. Mm-hmm. Um, quite interesting. Um, yeah. So um, you participated so- in a in a hackathon recently yeah i was kind of it was funny i was kind of tricked into it but <laughs> not tricked. <laughs> it was koji again so koji's launched this um it's called hash hub which is like i said it's like kind of co-working space but also kind of blockchain research and event area and he said hey we're doing a mobile hackathon what why don't you join so i said yeah sure and then i got there it was actually a bitcoin cash hackathon mm. <laughs> so wow kind of um, which which is okay, right? It, yeah. it, it was not bad. It was actually quite fun, then. But yeah. But, um, how was how Bitcoin Cash received? Real quick, how is Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin like received comparably? Like, is it as polarizing as I see it, or is it different over there? Um, I guess it depends who you talk to. Mm. Like, uh, I think generally, like on the internet, it's more polarizing. But once you just meet the people in person, you know, very rarely fight and <laughs> yeah. polite like tokyo is quite interesting because tokyo is like bitcoin cash central i think because the bitcoin meetup here is the organizer is roger yeah so all so everybody at the bitcoin meetup were kind of staunch bitcoin cash supporters okay yeah you know, so it's kind of like used to go to the meetup as a bitcoin core supporter and you'd be kind of like sent to a corner almost sometimes <laughs> it got strange but no but like most guys are cool right you just you know most guys just you know after a beer or two it's fine you know yeah. but there are, are a few guys who kind of like there was an event where craig wright and luke dash jr and um for people who don't know craig wright is like the he's like quite prominent in bitcoin cash yeah community he's, of, he's prominent everywhere <laughs> yeah yeah okay um and luke dash jr is like a real small blocker like he wants to make blocks smaller yeah that was a meetup that was quite contentious, and they were like, some somebody threatened to beat up Luke Dash Jr. and stuff. Oh my God. Where, where, when was that? Where was that? When was that? That was um, just before the Bitcoin. I think just before the user activated soft fork was scheduled. So was it like last year, September or yeah, something? Yeah. Okay. August. It was September a special. Yeah. It was a special event about that. Wow. Um, <laughs> but like, yeah, I think kind of like you get different types of. of people right you know some like bitcoin core bitcoin cash it's you know it's a mixed bag within those communities right you know so you get kind of people who are more like bitcoin cashes but more on the center and bitcoin cores but more on the center and they kind of get along quite well but and and then you have the extremes very so it's like like political it's it's like a political party yeah yes bit religious as well so yeah yeah Do, do you think that cryptocurrencies are religion yeah, I think humans kind of like have a religious thing in our brains that, you know, you can try and remove it, but I think there's certain callings, you know, like, yeah, like, it's, you know, like, it's kind of, I'm not sure if you've seen the Monty Python movie, you know, the, the Life mm-hmm. of Brian, where you have the people's front of Judea and the Judea's people's front, and it's a bit like that with like Bitcoin <laughs> and Bitcoin Cash in Tokyo. Well, there's a <laughs> so. meme right there. That's <laughs> Somebody yeah. needs to do that. <laughs> what? I want to be a woman. From now on, I want you all to call me Loretta. What? It's my right as a man. Well, why do you want to be Loretta, Stan? 
I want to have babies. You want to have babies? It's every man's right to have babies if he wants them. But you can't have babies. Don't you oppress me. I'm not oppressing you, Stan. You haven't got a womb. Where's the fetus going to gestate? You're going to keep it in a box? So, um, on the, uh, so with Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin over there, um, it, it, Counterparty, I know at one point, I'm not sure if they're still doing it or what's going on with that, but people were trying to fork Counterparty on a Bitcoin Cash. Is that something that's going on over there still? Apparently. So, like, was it a guy called Julian mm-hmm. who was actually forking it? And, like, I just heard rumors and things, and he presented, and he actually presented at a conference in Tokyo about Counterparty Cash. And, um, yeah, and uh, I heard they got like funding from Bitmain and Salesforce, but I haven't heard anything of it. And yeah. Bitmain now have basically just they forked Omni and, and called it oh. Wormhole. Oh, okay. They're using Omni, which, is, which was the first well, counterparty no, kind of thing. They don't say it. They're a bit disingenuous. So at the hackathon, um, I was speaking to one of the developers from Bitcoin.com, and he was trying to promote it, and he was promoting it as this it was an off-chain token solution on bitcoin cash that allowed e- erc20 tokens is what they said oh, wow. which, which, which was all nonsense when you got down to it yeah because like by off-chain they meant that it used the omni protocol or it, it, it used like you had to have like a separate separate node, layer like, yeah but it like every transaction was still on chain mm-hmm. <laughs> So yeah, I don't know. So um, so they just batch all the every trans uh, the all the ch- like every ten minutes. It's just like a Bitcoin. No the no, tra- no 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 oh. no no. It's it's exactly like Omni. All they've done is forked Omni, and you know. But they're just I don't know. It's like a marketing thing. They said it was off chain, but it wasn't at all. It's just exactly like counterparty. Okay. One transaction is one on chain transaction. Hmm. But they said it's off chain because it. It's Sounds not cool. like built into the protocol. It's just like, you know, they were meddling with words, you know, just to try and yeah. you know, trick people. So I kind <laughs> of disappointed in that. So in in, in, this, in our talk right now, I'm gathering you're more of a um, Bitcoin core supporter. Yeah, yeah. I guess people don't like labels, but yeah, like I'm not mm-hmm. spending any time working on Bitcoin Cash. Like, I, I'm not against Bitcoin Cash. Sure. Like, you know, I think like, the best case I can make for it is like, you know, we're not 100% sure that off-chain scaling is the way to go and you're not 100% sure that on-chain scaling is the way to go. So let's just make sure, you know, let's both do it. You know, you do off-chain, we do on-chain and we'll see what happens. Come mm-hmm. yeah, that's kind of the best case scenario. Yeah. Um, and a lot of Bitcoin cash supporters I speak to, a, a lot of them, you know, just quite, you know, you know, they kind of, they don't hate Bitcoin Core, they just prefer to go this way, you know, or use this roadmap, but they're interested in both. So mm. the thing with Bitcoin Cash at the moment is I think it's, it's you can't really, I think it's kind of hasn't settled down, you know, it's like, I, I don't want to be associated with it because I'm not sure what I'm associating with, you know, am I associating with this kind of like Craig Wright and N-Chain and, mm-hmm. you know, or is it going to be more about bitcoin abc you know there's a lot of you know yeah well there's certainly the personalities and i think having the personalities associated with these things is also creating a dilemma because you you may not be a supporter of particular statements right but you 
the cryptocurrency itself might be it's a technical matter fine but i think that yeah. the personalities are definitely influencing a lot of uh, yeah. opinion yeah 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 i think kind of yeah i think a lot of the personalities are, are kind of most of them are people who aren't really building anything so <laughs> you know yeah um so but most engineers and developers like obviously there's fringe cases but when you speak to developers kind of like you, you kind of the politics for the most part can tend to just fade away and you just kind of talk about you know specific bitcoin cash protocols which some are good some are bad in pacific bitcoin core um yeah but kind of again like bitcoin well the, the, the interesting thing about bitcoin is it's not just a technology it combines technology with like philosophy and politics so you kind of get the whole bag right mm -hmm. um but you know but i kind of like that bitcoin cash is around if i'm honest it's kind of it's interesting and it's you know kind of also it's you know it's good to have a competitor so i, I hope that bitcoin cash can become a, a decent competitor you know um, sure. yeah but at the moment i think it's you know it's a bit it's you know it's it kind of feels like it's being propped up and you know, I, I, I was watching an interview that derose did with um roger ver uh, yeah i saw that this morning actually yeah i was watching that last night and um i thought it was pretty um I, I couldn't I didn't watch the whole thing um but the first 20 minutes or so of it I think I watched and uh, I was you know it was glad to see that e even though there's been so much uh seems like drama yeah. and name calling at least uh Roger Ver kind of I got I kind of gathered his gist was that he um was more like you said like there's two things one you know let one let these guys work on this let us work on this and let's see what happens and yeah if that is the way it would go and I don't know. That, yeah that, that would be fine but i just feel like i don't know how you feel but the, like all this all the transactions spam on the network last year and all that stuff and i wonder how that all like disappeared and it, I, yeah. th that, that really that's the type of thing where you can say things like on the you know Roger and Chris can say talk have that conversation it sounds good but in the background if like there are yeah. you know really those dirty politics going on where that's going on um, then it's, it's hard I know what you're saying yeah, <laughs> yeah it's I hard. think it's kind of I think there's a few like kind of ways to view it like so um, I think one way to view it is like say that you know like I don't it is Roger a so-called scammer for mm -hmm. example you know or is he actually malicious or does he hire suck puppets like like you can't really say he does this you know it's kind of hard to get conclusive evidence but I think it's plausible that he might not but you know his followers may do if you know what I mean that's kind yeah. of how it works you know in like history and politics you know yeah you know the generals or the king didn't do it you know sure. but people second in command did it for them you know there's a lot of that um like I've kind of, yeah, I'm not sure what to make of Roger. Like, I've met him quite a few times in Tokyo. And, um, like, I don't know, he kind of, I, I think he... I remember there was um, a few months ago, he, he was in Tokyo with them. Um, he was doing a debate with Simon Dixon. I don't know if you know Simon of Simon Dixon. Yeah, yeah. He used to and, be with um, uh, Max, right? Max Yeah, Kaiser. yeah, he... He, he appeared on the show a lot but um but it was debate and simon dixon was kind of like on the bitcoin core side and roger was on the bitcoin cash and during the debate roger was just so rude and like <laughs> when when it was simon's turn to talk 
Roger would stand up and kind of interrupt him and like get, gather people on the stage, like from the audience up into the stage, and then to you know, and then he say, "Oh, please continue." And then when he started talking again, he would interrupt him again. So yeah, yeah I think that, it's you know, that's annoying. Yeah. Yeah, he, he's I, I'll say that for you. That's a, that's annoying. <laughs> yeah, anyone who's been well, on stage, the, the, why disturb someone? You wouldn't want anybody to do that to you. Those are like wrestling tactics. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah you know, I think you know. I don't know. It's like lots of people say, you know, and it's, it's not just Roger. It's few mm-hmm. other people, but people say like, you know, oh, you know, I've met him. Actually, you know, he's a nice guy, but but I think this kind of. Uh, I don't know. I think he's very passionate. Yeah. And um, it's hard for me to make out this stuff too, because like everybody, I'm I'm not an old Bitcoiner. I mean, I got in a few years ago, but like people that are you know really you know I guess the early Bitcoiners, they all have this love for Roger. Um, you know, even even if or they had a love for it, you know, freely admit that you know. So something happened along the way that is just. yeah, like, I think you know he did a lot for Bitcoin in in the early days, and he's doing a, a lot for Bitcoin Cash right now. You know, I think he's very you know he he's um so what's the word I'm looking for? He's um evangelical. He's sincere. <laughs> well, he, he's sincere in his beliefs. Uh, but but then I spoke to a guy the other day who said that he's convinced that Roger's hired by the NSA. <laughs> He's like a spy or something. Oh gosh, I've I've heard some of that. I, I you know, it's it like conspiracies know, it's are fun. <laughs> conspiracies are fun. Like it's obviously ridiculous that he is, but it's not ridiculous that somebody like it's not a crazy thing to say that the NSA or the FBI or whatever oh, would sure. put somebody in the community. I mean, the history you know. of the world at any type yeah. of uprising, if that's what you want to call Bitcoin. There's always going to be some infiltration. So it's somewhere down the ranks in this. There's it's infiltration. It's going to be somebody and somebody that's in the public eye. So yeah, sure. but it's crazy to say it's him. You know, or it's him. Mm-hmm. Um, but Roger says the same thing about like Blockstream, right? You know, he does. Yeah. He does this thing where he says like, I'm not saying that Blockstream are hired by the NSA, but. <laughs> but. <laughs> I'm not saying yeah. that other people. If I want to kill Bitcoin. This is <laughs> how I do it, kind of thing. You know. Yeah, anyway, it's pretty um, interesting. Um, th- going back to um, Counterparty real quick. When, it, when I was I was watching an interview that you and Koji did with Chris DeRose last year in Tokyo, and um, you it, this this fascinated me. I had no idea. I knew I knew Counterparty and Bitcoin obviously were big in Japan, but I think you guys mentioned that between fi- at that time between fifty and eighty percent of Bitcoiners um, you had used Counterparty. And many of those people have their own tokens. Um, I think maybe that was maybe Koji said that. Oh, okay. Um, okay. I, I vaguely remember. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think. Well, at the time, a lot of that was due to Koji. So Koji's quite prolific in Japan. You know, he's kind of he has like a famous blog and a yeah. famous podcast and things like this. So he was really going around introducing it. And um, yeah, I think um, Counterparty was i think i think it kind of it, it flows in cycles with the bear market and the bull market right mm-hmm. whenever bitcoin's bullish then like everything goes up and everybody's into tokens and when it's now it's bearish it's kind of it's, it's gone a bit quiet and um, also like ethereum has come out it's a bit more prolific so um what, but, why, why do you think it's more prolific why do you think ethereum is more prolific 
just I don't know. I think it's just <laughs> what I does it? It's, um, it's, what, like what makes that happen? Like in your opinion? I think one thing is obviously the there's like a, a big foundation there to promote it. Sure. I think it's got a bigger promise almost. It's like got this idea that you know you can do anything on Ethereum. I think at the beginning Ethereum didn't have the baggage as Bitcoin, so. Uh, a lot of people in Bitcoin who wanted to do tokens and make applications kind of got a, a lot of, you know, um, hate's not the right word, but there's a lot of, you know, you know, what is this spam? What are you doing? And, you know, yeah. where Ethereum was much more friendly. Yeah. Much, I think it, there's a few things like that. I think that's fading now because of like the Ethereum issues. Yeah, um, people are figuring it out. Counterparty is cheaper than Ethereum, you know? <laughs> yeah. Just, like, you I said that last year that like, Ethereum would be more expensive than, than Bitcoin. It'd be so you crazy. Yeah, <laughs> it's been like that all year, pretty much for for the, for the two chains. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I think Ethereum has like major scaling issues. Like, just well, it's, it's trying to do too much in a way. So, mm -hmm. um, I think I enjoyed. I think you guys did like a Ethereum versus Counterparty thing with them, um, Joe and. Yeah, the Battle Royale too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think they kind of summed it up well. Designed around this idea of being like a global supercomputer where instead of basically just having a currency that you exchange you have little bits of compute you basically have little scripts that live in the blockchain and then you could pay miners to run them uh, and they could do lots of stuff um, that's the core idea of ethereum Counterparty, the original Counterparty, actually trying to make that happen too. But Counterparty's original idea was basically not to be a separate blockchain, and instead to use the metadata fields on the Bitcoin blockchain to create uh, new tokens. Basically, instead of just having the ability to have Bitcoin, you'd have the ability to have like X asset, uh, asset one, asset two, or in the case of you know the the use case I know the best, Rare Pepe. Uh, like on the Rare Pepe wallet, you could have like DJ Pepe, you could have like um, a Hair Pepe, and each of those could have different quantities and they have their own tokens which are tradable peer to peer, but the transactions ultimately settle on the Bitcoin network. And so, interestingly enough, I thought about your question before we started this, which is is there something like Counter Wallet or I forget what the website for actually the, the GUI for creating tokens that you that you use is but is there like a simple user interface for creating tokens on the ethereum blockchain of different types and the answer is not that i know of you can pretty easily create a token on uh rareart.io but right now they haven't opened up that user interface uh for anyone you have to let them do it at the moment and then soon it will be available on for anybody um, another thing that, that happened is that like Monocoin is very big in Japan, which is like the Japanese Dogecoin. Yeah. It's quite big. And they have Monoparty. So it's like the Do Doge party kind of? Yeah, yeah, but it's actually it's kind of used. So okay. um, that was kind of promoted because it's got like a Japanese thing. Mm -hmm. um, but Counterparty, so we're actually doing a, a, a hackathon which will include Counterparty in Tokyo in maybe October, November. Mm -hmm. So um, maybe we can talk about this, but um, at Indie Square, I'm working on a, a um, kind of an application protocol um, to make things like Saratobi Island and stuff like CryptoKitties 
you wanted to in Counterparty. Mm. It's going to be called WebXCP or something like that. Okay. Um, so we're going to do a hackathon to promote that. So it'll make it easier for people. I think now a lot of developers don't they don't know that you can do tokens on Bitcoin. They kind of just think like Ethereum's the only token layer. And once yeah. you tell them. That, know, that's like, the talking points of Ethereum and Bitcoiners, like it seems like. But you're right, and it's funny. I, I don't know if you're in the Art Project decentralized chat on Telegram, um, but there's a yes, yeah. I mean, so you see, yeah, <laughs> you, you're lurking in there. Yeah, so you see a lot of the conversation in there, and you, you know, there's there's some there's a few handful of. Uh, I, I I would probably include myself in the kind of crazy XCPers that come in there and like, no, 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 tokens, uh, crypto artists, Bitcoin, and XCP. Um, yeah. I, I I just feel like um, you know, it's, I got two parts to this real quick. Um, so I feel like counterparty. The reason that a lot of the development doesn't happen, and we've kind of spoken on this through different channels and stuff, is that it there's no incentive unless it's like like, like you, how you do it. You're it's hobbyist, it's fun, and you want to try to create something and be and there's no there's no funds for development yeah. on XCP and Ethereum has at least I think three foundations that are pretty wealthy that do do that and one that is very focused on the arts which is you know yeah. more power to them and the, the second part was um oh yeah so Dan Dan Droplister Dan Anderson who, yeah. who does the Bitcoins he uh he's been um compiling counterparty going back to the beginning counterpartying pretty much going through the history of crypto art right now so he's he's like as of yesterday he was in the the year 2016 by the time this podcast comes out hopefully that information will be available somebody's gonna put a paper together but the statistics that he has on this counterparty and like the crypto art scene and how it exploded in 2016 pretty much around september when the rare peppies um and artists were able to start creating tokens and all this stuff is is really crazy it's kind of uh, nobody's touched on it People are all writing all these articles in, in the mainstream media about how everything is on Ethereum and such. And, you know, they give credit to SOG and Rare Pepe's sometimes in a backhandish way. But uh, yeah, it, it, it's interesting to me how it's all moved to Ethereum this past year. Um, and like you said, the scalability, they're running into the same issues that, you know, you yeah. know like we were running into in 2000. 16 or really 17 with uh, the bitcoin transactions being 10 to 20 dollars sometimes i think well, one thing that happened oh sorry go. oh no i was just wondering what other games besides crypto kitties are can we even look at from from in the ethereum world well, crypto punks is one crypto punks okay there's loads of dApps like yeah, so i'm actually working on so i actually work for indie square as well so we kind of added like a dApp browser to the app and so we kind of looked at like what dApps were available and there's loads of dApps but there's not many ones that actually work well or that are a game other than just trading mm-hmm. um so uh, but i think ethereum has the same issue as well they kind of like they need to wait for like their layer two whether that be like plasma or it's like a loom side chain or something um yeah I think what happened with Counter, like, I think there was quite a few things that happened with Counterparty. I think that the Bitcoin Cash, Bitcoin Core fork kind of hurt Counterparty as well. There was like a lot of divide, which kind of disenfranchised some of the developers. Mm-hmm. Another thing was the fees in like November, December. That caused a lot of projects to kind of move over to Ethereum. Yeah. 
whether it experienced exact, exactly the same problem in Ethereum, so they've solved nothing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, so that was another thing. So, like, a, a lot of them are moving to EOS now or something like that. You, you can't keep doing that, though. You can't keep chasing the dragon. <laughs> that's what I think, you know. It's, yeah, that's the thing, you know. But I kind of don't blame them in a way. It's kind of like this um, Catch-22 situation that if you want to kind of build a company or a game or an app on blockchain, you you want to do it quick, you know. You don't want somebody else to do it yeah. before you. Yeah. But if you do it too quick, then kind of you, it's kind of it's not really the time to be building. So mm -hmm. do you wait until something's better? Then you might miss your chance. So it's quite a difficult problem, I think. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I, I think uh, you spoke on the Loom uh, in Ethereum. I don't know a lot about it, but um, I follow the Neon District project, and I know that um, they're using the Loom sidechain and. They have yeah. some pretty smart people in there, so I'm just interested to see how that works out. I kind of think that, like, I don't know, I kind of have a, maybe a controversial view on this, but I think for a lot of games and apps, the point of using blockchain isn't really to have this, like, decentralized, uncensurable, nobody-can-change kind of system. It's more like the openness. They just want anybody to be able to kind of interact with their app and that yeah. kind of sharing. And if that's what you want, you know, maybe a more centralized solution is fine for that. Mm -hmm. um, where Counterparty is, is, is obviously trying to be like the gold standard of like digital assets. Um, you know, so obviously, you know, there's costs and, involved in that. Yeah. Um, so I kind of think that we'll probably see a lot of games that you know are using blockchain, but it's not the blockchain that Bitcoin is now. It's just like, I don't know. I kind of think that Google token will just come out soon. You know, it'll be like on, on Google Cloud and crypto, yeah. you know, yeah. that people will use. And for the most part, it'll be fine. Um, you know, yeah, because like, I, I kind of I, I agree with you. Once in the, in the part that you definitely in the. Um, Thing where you said that like i've heard you say too is like xcp you know a cool thing about it is that you make a token and any developer developing on that platform now can take your token and integrate it into their game permissionless which yeah hasn't you can't do that any other way video games like indie video game stuff niche 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 video game developers who can't get on the big networks can pull their resources together and you know artists and you know different people around the world can contribute to, to this without you know like if i want to make a skin for a game or something hopefully in the future then i could sell that skin in the game and that, i think that's what a lot of people in the counterparty see and yeah. um that's yeah, yeah to me that's a game changer too that the decentralization yeah. is you know that's what everybody gets into bitcoin and screams decentralization but as you get into it more you realize that um, decentralization to a degree like if it's too decentralized in some of this stuff it's almost like uh, it, it, nothing ha nothing happens or gets done really it, it, you need some kind of like trajectory and the other thing yeah, that yeah. seems to be coming out with regard to the decentralization because they were talking about this some some of the meetups or events in Europe as an example is the privacy issues as well as the copyright issues and we're seeing all this stuff kind of bubbling up and the decentralization actually um you know that aspect of it harms the promotion of the technology so in some respects it's i i like blockchains strictly for money movement 
um, and keeping it in that way and everything else, you know, don't if you if you're trying to have privacy, you're trying to protect privacy or trying to manage copyright, decentralization may not be the thing, right? It's a yeah, so it seems counterintuitive. Yeah, decentralization is not what you want. It's yeah. just it's it, it's like you know, especially like say if I'm trading a token with you guys like i don't want that to be decentralized across everybody else on the network i just want to trade with you guys yeah as long as it's trustless and you can't cheat me and i can't cheat you exactly. that's kind of the ultimate goal and that's kind of i think what the philosophy of kind of bitcoin is going forward this idea that um, it's, it's kind of expressed more in the lightning network which is a great example of it that all, all the transactions are just between the receiver and the sender and nobody knows about it mm-hmm. but it's kind of backed by this kind of um, foundation of a decentralized secure network which makes that possible yeah um so i'd like to see counterparty go a similar way um you know because obviously you know there's going to be a place for like on-chain transactions that are slow and cost a lot but if you want to do like a like a mario coin or a saratobi coin or you know something very small you kind of need a layer above that which isn't decentralized. Yeah, right. it's, it's, it's it is a little counterintuitive when people are promoting peer to peer. Well, peer to peer to me means one to one or one to two, but not one to unknown numbers of people. That that to me is not a peer to peer. You know, it, it's it? it seems counterintuitive to me because that that's my understanding of peer to peer is you knew who you not necessarily knew the person, but you knew the relationship between yourself and this other entity. And it was just that. It wasn't an unknown number of people that were participating. I, I don't... It's like peers to peers instead of peer to peer. I remember when <laughs> I first got into Bitcoin, I watched one of those explainer videos. And I think they say it on almost all of them. That, you know, They kind of say this fallacy that like that the blockchain is... Uh, it, it cuts out the middleman, so you trade kind of peer to peer. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's cheap and like a fast and, and efficient, which is completely wrong. Yeah, actually, yeah. You cut out the middleman and replace them with like <laughs> mini middlemen. <laughs> middleman. It's and like that o- that that so office that, that movie Office Space where they do takes like a little bit of money from everybody or <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and gets rich. Yeah, 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 well, yeah. It's, it's a bit like that, right? You know. So um, yeah. So I, I think you know this kind of. I think that's. And a lot of people who started build, building applications of businesses on, on Bitcoin, you know, in the early days, kind of didn't realize that. And then when stuff got expensive and it didn't work, you know, they, you know, they kind of, in a way, learned the hard way. It's, you know, or, um, yeah. Can, can we um, can we but, do something real quick? Can we talk? We're, we're talking about lightning, and yep, yep. <clears throat> this is such a, um, you know, I know a lot of people that listen to this have heard of lightning. I think most people, including myself, even though I put my I've, put my head into it um i get a little bit of it but can you give us some kind of like easy to digest what is lightning and secondly how could lightning and like a counterparty or any type of uh yeah yeah, how that would work so i think lightning is uh, i think it's a layer on top of bitcoin um i think the best i'm trying to think how, how how i explain this best um there's like two ways to explain it. Um, one analogy I like is if you think of of Lightning kind of ju- just for payments, um, it's kind of like a bar tab, you know. So if you go into a bar and you have to, you know, buy a drink and you have to like kind of get your wallet out and get the cash out and call your 
count your coins and pay every time you buy a drink. It kind of becomes slow and expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, so what people do in bar tabs is they generally, you know, they kind of, well, they have a tab and they just order drinks quick, you know, and they don't have to pay and they pay once at the end. That's kind of like a layman's terms, kind of how the Lightning Network works for payments. Um, you know, like the most of the payments aren't recorded they're only kind of they're settled at the end yeah um, but I kind of to be honest I'm not super interested in lightning too much for payments because I, I, um, it's kind of like being interested in the internet for making phone calls I think <laughs> in a way um, which is obviously important in the first thing but I like the idea of another way to explain lightning is that it's kind of like this layer one and layer two analogy going back to it it's kind of like in everyday life you know people do business all the time you know people buy and sell stuff and trade stuff and make deals and all those deals are kind of they're legally kind of um, you know enforced but you don't go to court at every deal you know you don't kind of go to the court and make sure you know yeah 99% of the time the deal's fine because both no party wants to cheat the other yeah. but if something goes wrong then you go to court and that's kind of slow and expensive and that's kind of how the relationship between lightning and bitcoin works you know most of the time you're kind of not needing the kind of the the base blockchain you know because most parties don't try and cheat so would the would the cheat. base blockchain be the contract between the two parties that you don't need to use usually to enforce things something like that yeah yeah so yeah um so that's kind of my idea for lightning is like that and that's why i think it can kind of help applications in, in gaming is that most of your games would be off chain and your applications and your tokens would be off chain and they can only kind of work off chain because you kind of know if somebody tried to cheat you that you could always kind of settle on the on chain you know yeah so they've got no incentive to do it because they can't win all they're going to do is just kind of slow things down for a bit but they'll ultimately lose um so that's my idea for lightning why how i see it in counterparty initially is that atomic swaps can be done quite cool with counterparty and lightning um and real quick what is an atomic swap an atomic swap is a way to trust trustlessly trade um two tokens i would say whether that token be bitcoin and like bitcoin cash or bitcoin so, so two different protocols token. or platforms yeah, 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 yeah. I guess I think I think the word atomic swap is not the best word. I said I don't actually like it because it makes it sound kind of like it's super fast or something. It's not <laughs> necessarily super fast. It's more a better word is trustless escrow. Okay. So if we w- wanted to trade a token, like you know, I could send you the Bitcoin first, but I'd have to trust you send me the token afterwards. Mm-hmm. Or you could send me the token first, but you have to trust I send you the Bitcoin or we could have Cynthia as like a man in the middle so we send her the token and and the, the Bitcoin and then she gives it to the other party but we have to trust that she isn't in cahoots with the, you know that's the problem so how an atomic swap works is kind of instead of Cynthia your kind of trusted third party is the blockchain um, but it's actually it's actually an, a regular atomic swap is actually quite slow it can be quite slow and, and you kind of there's like a few things where you always have to watch the blockchain which makes it a bit it's not really user friendly which is probably why we haven't actually seen atomic swaps being used and you have Even to watch the blockchain because kind of both parties have to be online at the same time doing this right yes 
Yes, yeah, you basically have to kind of be watching to kind of see when. So how an atomic swap works loosely is that I kind of escrow my token on the blockchain and the other party escrows their token on the blockchain. And when they try to claim your token, it kind of unlocks the ability for you to claim their token. But you always have to be watching to know when they do it. Um, mm-hmm. So it's kind of not really great. And, you know, we're in like a mobile world where everybody wants to do everything on the mobile phones, but it's quite difficult to be you know, on chain all the time. Yeah. Uh, but Lightning makes this a little bit easier because what I demonstrated uh, at the, the hackathon in Tokyo is that we did like, um, I wanted to do a counterparty and Lightning swap, but it was a Bitcoin Cash event. So I had to do a Bitcoin Cash and Lightning Atomic swap. Okay. But the same principle applies yeah um the idea being for for one party it becomes much simpler so only one party now has to watch the blockchain which kind of means that if it's like a buyer and seller so i can set up like a token store mm-hmm. you know and i'm a merchant so i kind of don't mind watching the blockchain because it's you know it's kind of i'm a merchant i'm a business you know it's i can invest that time but for the buyer they can kind of, they don't need to watch it. They can literally pay an invoice with Lightning, which confirms instantly because that's how Lightning works. And they get, and they can sweep the token like straight away. So that's what I was trying to show. And that's what I'll be continuing to, to work on as well in, in the next few months. But basically, it's kind of like a hybrid, like off chain, on chain atomic swap. And it, 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 I think it, it, it will allow the ability for people to do an atomic swap or to buy a token trustlessly from mobile so like the trustless escrow in lightning will be easier yes. yeah yeah i think there's something similar that people may have heard of called a submarine swap which a guy called alex Bath- bosworth it's, it's kind of the same principle hmm. um, but that's kind of like the first step Ult- like the ultimate step is to kind of have some sort of kind of lightning to token lightning swap right so it kind of it's, it's the both are instant because like the tokens on a lightning layer but i don't think we'll see tokens on lightning anytime soon um for a few reasons um but in the short term at least like what i demonstrated at the hackathon with my teammate i must say he helped me as well Mm -hmm. is that it can you know like at indie square we'd like to give the ability for people in the wallet to kind of instantly kind of buy token trustlessly yeah or swapped so that that's the idea i where's are you part of the um in, are you part of the indie square team at all yes i am oh, okay okay so i'm actually part of eds as well so kind of this busy guy okay so you so you, when did you i just noticed it recently um that ethereum and xcp are in indie square which yeah. uh i i would think i would get a little bit more publicity like that that's a you got two yeah. two different uh, you know ethereum and bitcoin in one wallet and tokens that you have you know i, I liken it to um the toshi app um yeah, yeah. it's like that except uh the toshi it's app is very janky um <laughs> you know indie yeah. square sometimes has the issue too to, you know but yeah i i yeah you know I, I i think that you know that's pretty big deal like indie square is uh so, does a lot of things yeah so kind of yeah, so we kind of added that, and we've actually got an update that's coming out soon, um, hopefully tomorrow, which makes it a bit better. Um, but yeah, we added it a few months ago. The reason, like, 
it hasn't been pushed too much. Is one thing is like IndieSquare is a Japanese company, so they don't really know how to reach out to the kind of Western media. So more people know about it in Japan. Okay. Another thing is personally, I haven't wanted to push it. So like, it's actually got the ability to make games with rare Pepe tokens in the wallet, but yeah. I haven't pushed it. The reason is that I think that. Indiesco, we need to do some work improving like the backend system because the backend system could be more stable. Yeah. So we've we've hired some more people to work on that. But as they're working on that, you know, because as you mentioned before, that sometimes Indiesco has issues and there's a few issues with like the backend in the API. So I think we're working on that. And uh, once that's a bit more settled, we'll push it more. Okay. Yeah, um, I was yeah. I was trying to do something. Well, my bad. Because one second, I was trying yeah. to do something last night with um. I was using, so I used to, you know, I love Book of Orbs. I used to always use it on my phone, but I'm an iOS user, and eventually, yeah. it, you know, I got rolled out of that. So I can't, anybody listening that doesn't know, I, I can't use Book of Orbs on my iPhone anymore um, because well, of some, some app date. Yeah, yeah. But I started using the Web Wallet um, recently, and I like it a lot. Um, I love how Book of Orbs is integrating all these different um, tokens in there. Yeah. And, um, but that's the thing is, you know, even the, on the decks and the counter wallet decks and stuff, it's like, you know, a good 20, 25% of the time, I, I would say maybe, maybe it's a little high, but when I want to do something, I'll get like a API error, I'll get yeah. some kind of yeah. crash, and um, yeah. that would be something, you know, I would love to see an improvement on with. Uh, yeah, we're definitely working on it. I think it kind of goes to, um, it's actually a few issues. One of the issues is that, and it's been worked on by the counterparty devs, is that counterparty kind of, like, the protocol, or not the protocol, I would say, I would say the node needs a few updates um, just to make it a bit more scalable. So counterparty has only ever really been used like for an individual basis. No company has really tried to use a counterparty node too much. Obviously, there are a few exchanges, but IndieSquare gets quite a bit of traffic, and there were like some bottlenecks which were causing the... Mm -hmm. Anyway, but yeah, it's been worked on, and hopefully in the next few updates it'll be a bit better. Uh, but that's kind of like the main reason I hadn't pushed it too much. Okay. Um, yeah. But yeah, but kind of the 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 ultimate goal is that uh, we're also adding Lightning Wallet into IndieSquare as well. Oh wow! And the ultimate game is that the the ultimate goal is you'll be able to play a game inside IndieSquare Wallet, which will kind of be able to use counterparty tokens and lightning payments all kind of seamlessly because it's all kind of in the wallet already. You know, it's kind of just, it, it, it doesn't, you know, you don't have to kind of use a PC or, or go to a different app. So you could play a game and like pay to buy a token with lightning, then use a token you just bought in the game. You know, that's kind of kind of the ultimate goal. Yeah. But it's just it's infrastructure, right? You know, it's just like there's a shortage of devs as well. So IndieSquare trying to find devs and competent devs who know blockchain are very few and far between. And, <laughs> but it's coming. It's just, you know. It's and even more system. few and far between than no counterparty or lightning. Yeah, that was definitely one of the things I had talked about or have uh, concern about is, is bringing up people, you know, to follow all of you. And the other aspect of this with regard to what you're doing, are you doing this full time or do you have another like bread and butter job that you have? So, um, so, at the, so kind of most of my time at the moment is working on IndieSquare and Everdreamsoft projects, uh, which is like Book of Orbs, the IndieSquare wallet, 
uh, the Book of Wolves web app and also Everdream Soft have a new app coming out which is quite similar to Indie Square in a way um, it's like a counterparty browser and Ethereum browser and then after that in my own time I try to do Mandelduck stuff and um, I'm also trying to get more involved in counterparty development as well because um, obviously uh, I, I want to contribute more to that and kind of um, so um, and that would involve pushing through uh, some of these counterparty proposals and stuff and make it yeah. like yeah what, what, what's the top three counterparty improvements you uh, could see going forward right now I guess it's like there's two sets of top three so it's like the the top three that are like the most important and the top three that are the most interesting okay yeah go let's hear it the top three that are the most important are like kind of you know kind of updating it so it can use the latest bitcoin core some code re- code refactoring some you know kind of performance increase all that kind of stuff uh, the top three that are most interesting i personally i kind of i think it's coming soon uh, it's the it's like the batch sense. yes that's my number one thank you yeah <laughs> I'm waiting for that as well yeah. because, you know, obviously I, I kind of, I wanted to add it to one of my games, you know, so I could just cheaply send out a bunch of tokens. Sure. Um, um, after that, I would probably say I'm kind of interested in, in adding SegWit, which is probably not, it's not, it's not needed too much because fees are kind of cheap at the moment, mm. but it's like a precursor to build other stuff on top of it, if yeah. you know what I mean. Yeah. So once SegWit is in, it's kind of allows us to do you know which which i i, I saw under the radar recently that segway was at 45 percent adoption now yeah that's, yeah. Cr- that's it's crazy. crazy well it's, it's this is a sad thing a frustrating thing it's so e- easy to get it much higher but some of like the largest companies in the in the space like blockchain.info and red wallet which is another one like the guys just aren't interested in in, in adding segway you know i i'm yeah. obviously it's I understand it's quite difficult to add it, but I don't know. I think a lot of people don't like SegWit, so <laughs> yeah, you know. And um, but yeah, but um, what yeah, was the so, third? Um, what was the third thing? I saw I cut you off. What's the third thing? Let me think about it. Yeah, batch SegWit. Oh, I quite like. Um, it's called MCAT. What's which that? Which is um, one of the counterparty developer or the previous developer, um, Dweller. He's a great guy. Mm-hmm. He kind of proposed it. And it's kind of the idea being, it's kind of one way to explain it is instead of like sending a letter, like if you want to send a letter to somebody, instead of driving to the house and giving it to them, you give it to the mailman, right? And the mailman delivers everybody's letters. It's kind of the same thing with tokens. So you don't send a token directly to somebody. You send it to this kind of like this MCAT node, which batches all the tokens together and then sends it all in one transaction. The benefit being that you can like send tokens like super, super cheap. So you can um, send multiple different types. Of, this would be like a multi-batch thing almost. You're, yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, so like, it's like you're not doing the batching because mm-hmm. batching's only good for an individual if they actually ha- have lots of payments to send, right? Yeah. But most time, you just want to send one token. But how this works is you just send one token and somebody else batches it for you and they batch it, everybody's together. So I, I don't exactly know how it'll work, but like maybe like every hour it just sends it, right? Yeah, I was going to say, that, that sounds like something that would be useful for something that wouldn't be needed right away. Yeah, yeah. So like I kind of found with a lot of tokens sends 
most of the time, like, you know, quite a lot of scents don't necessarily have to be sent straight away. If you just want to send cheaply, you don't care as long as it gets sure. there within a day. Mm. Um, but another thing is, but on top of that, um, Dweller was also saying it's possible to do, to, to kind of to do like a DEX inside of that. So you could have a DEX with super cheap fees. Mm. Um, so I, I was kind of interested in that, especially at the time when um, fees were quite high. Um, obviously now it's not too important the fees are low, but you know I think we have to kind of expect at some Win- point winter it will it come will... again. <laughs> I don't think it'll be as bad though. Um, one of the things that, that that people don't know is with Segwit it kind of makes yeah. the so-called maybe like the spam attack bit more difficult to do, mm-hmm. which just the way it kind of like weighs up fees and inputs and, and, and things like this. So uh, hopefully it, it won't come as bad but we still have to kind of expect that like eventually fees are incentivized to kind of pay the miners um anyway um so that's kind of what i'm excited about i guess the guy who came up with like segwit proposal and um the mcat was dweller and unfortunately he's kind of stepped down so is that is that just for my nod is that devon Yes. Yeah, okay. Yes. It's Devin. So, um, but yeah, he's still active. Like he's still active to talk to. So hopefully, once I get a bit of time in the next few months, I'm hopefully hoping I can jump on top of that, or t- take a look at it and try to, to work on that kind of stuff. I know this is out of the blue with that, but where did he go and what what is he working on? Because I know he was a very considered a very special like, developer in Counterpoint. Yeah, I think it was Joe. Like, I I don't want to speak for him, but yeah, I think. Yeah. I think he was during the split he was like the Bitcoin cash and Bitcoin fork he was I think he got a bit disenfranchised with the high fees I think that kind of made him more interested in exploring other chains like my take on it he wasn't kind of saying that that Counterplay should move he said maybe we should think about supporting additional chains you know have like a Litecoin chain or something like this in addition to the Bitcoin chain but I think he got attacked a bit for what he said and then you know there's a bit of drama and that kind of you know i don't blame him but you know it may even feel like you know well i've got better things to do with my time but yeah because he was a hired gun for counterparty kind of at first right well that's the thing the foundation also split as well yeah yeah so there's now there's like there's no so but i think yeah the 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 foundation kind of split which kind of left a vacuum And there's plenty of people who, who want to fill that vacuum, actually. There's loads of people who want to join, but it's kind of risky. You don't want anybody just jumping on and becoming the new developer, right? Yeah. Um, so I think the main guys in the community who kind of have some sort of weight, mm-hmm. I think they all kind of came to the conclusion that it's better to be like conservative now and wait till new devs who are actually, there, I think Folding Coin donated a couple of devs to help on counterparty but we're just kind of waiting for them you know to become you know to understand the protocol more and also for myself for my time to free up a bit more um so i can work on it and um yeah because we don't want to break anything and it's kind of a sad thing but there's very few people who really understand how the the protocol works completely right (laughs) you know do people contact you directly like if they wanted to do development in counterparty do they contact you and say you know can you teach me the ropes or so people yeah, do yeah. okay I, I get emails but I'm probably not the best person to ask <laughs> more competent developers to me I, I think maybe because of my games it, people think I'm better than than I am but um, like I, I kind of I don't know the counter the counterparty actual 
the Node software too well. I haven't really looked at it too much, but I built kind of on top of Counterpart. Okay. So I understand like, you know, the message formats and how to do atomic swaps, but you, there's a lot to learn because, you know, there's a whole protocol. But like my main goal here is I kind of want now that there's no foundation, the kind of the, the main players in the space, like the companies who use Counterparty re really need to step up and help, um, you know, towards development, which some are. I think Folding Coin guys are doing a great job. I'm trying to get IndieSquare to do a job and they're kind of interested in hiring some people to help out on Counterparty as well. I'm sounding off the air horn for that right there. All y'all looking for some uh, experimental fun work. Counterparty. Go, go check it out. It's just like development is slow, right? You know, mm -hmm. it's just you, you mentioned folding coin and I just wanted to point out something that uh, when I was mentioning that Dan uh, Anderson was putting together compiling going back in history um, and looking at how the crypto art and tokens issued on counterparty um, and I think maybe probably nobody knows this but he, he, he broke this in the chat and this uh, small chat we have yesterday that Folding coin was actually the first, could, could probably, as far as we could tell so far, was probably the first issuer of a collectible card on Counterparty. They made a thing called the Healing Formula in um, March 11th of 2015. And there's a, I'll put a, uh, hopefully I can put a link to the picture um, in the podcast link here. But I had no idea that Folding coin would have been considered the first uh, crypto art asset. Yeah, could be right. Yeah. yeah, I know they had a card with spells of Genesis, but maybe that was a different card. Yeah, that's what I, I always thought. This the the Satoshi card or whatever was the first one, and maybe like I don't know. Like I said, this is all new information he's been working on, but maybe the card was issued. That, you know, asset was created then, and maybe then later on they made it a card. I don't know. So, that, but I thought that was yes. What finds a card does it have card in the title? <laughs> yeah, it it. What is this? Look say? it up on X-Chain or something. The issue in statement. Well, uh, actually, hold on. It is called... Huh. It is called FD card. That's the Spells of Genesis card, I think. Yeah, and it, it, you know what? It's linked to Spells of Genesis, but it was made... Well, either way, it was made... It was made March 11th, 2015. So maybe they had plans for it, and they just later on developed it. But uh, yeah, I thought that was yeah. interesting. The folding coins... I really like those guys and the project. So I was, I was actually thinking, I think I, I need to get back to them, but I was, I'm planning to kind of, in a, in a Saratobi Island update to kind of do more cross collaboration. So that was one of the guys, like the project, I was going to make a special level or monster in the game mm. just for Bolt coin. And yeah. you know, just to kind of show the, you know, the, how tokens from different projects can, used yeah 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 that's cool i think we've talked in in other contexts about the cross-platform <laughs> you know interactivity and is that something that is even conceivable because i understand you know obviously having things separated is you know you're able to um uh market that a little bit easier than saying that well they are compatible across across platforms but do you think that that's a possibility i have in my mind the equivalent of like an adobe pdf where you know you can use it in you know you can use it on your mac and you can use it on your pc uh yeah. where 
because that that to me is very very interesting because it created with Adobe um, an opportunity for them to allow editing in their own in their PDF files. Yeah. Um, but is that something that you think is somewhere along the line in the in the future? Oh yeah, it, it, it's quite easy to do. It. Like, and it's definitely it's coming. Like, I was. It's another thing on my list to do, but like, um, like the idea, like, so most platforms or blockchains, they all actually use the same wallet format. So, mm -hmm. like, in in IndieSquare, it's a counterparty wallet and an Ethereum wallet, but your twelve-word recovery phrase is the same phrase. So that's the same for like Monocoin or anything else. So that means that you can have one wallet that a game links to, and that game can like it can read your counterparty tokens or your ethereum tokens and then you can have a game that could use tokens from any platform as like game items that's like, like that at least is very easy to do and like you know that uh, i was you know i was planning to do it in in my game as well but you know there's a list of things of other things i have to do as well you know but i think spells of genesis guys are doing that for their new game i think as well um we actually talked about you could use like two chains, for example. Two chains. This is meant to be it's got expensive, but you could use like a fast chain, like a fast, insecure, cheap chain, like certain tokens in your game, and then like a more slow and expensive chain for more valuable tokens in your game. So, like a, one example would have been the counterparty chain and the monoparty chain. So counterparty is very secure. Um, you know, but obviously fees can be a bit expensive and block times, you know, the confirmation. And the reason like, it's secure is because it is built on top of Bitcoin. Yes, exactly. Yep. Where yeah. Monoparty is built on top of Monocoin and like the fees are very low and the block times are like a few minutes. But Monocoin was recently like they had an issue where somebody did what's called a block withholding attack. But it basically meant that like they sent money to an exchange, but then like rewrote the the monocoin chain so they got the money back kind of thing so that's you know that's quite risky but if you're just doing like a few like low valuable tokens it's probably fine it's a risk you know if it's like less than a dollar right but if it's like your thousand dollar yeah. pepe card maybe you don't do that so we were talking about that and you could do an atomic swap between the chains so it's, it's all possible but and, the, and the reason for that for the audience i think just is that um it just to hack something that's only worth a dollar isn't really worth the criminal intent or whatever to do that yeah. that's why we're saying that that's why you're saying that and for something more secure in bitcoin it may take longer and stuff but you're you're in good hands kind of and that's kind of the thinking of it like you're not going to be able to get that even though it's yeah. valuable you're not going to be able even if the attacker tries to get on there like at least ideologically you're not going to be able to get that and then with the mana coin, like you're saying, it's just you know these little nickel and dime transactions. Like, is it really worth getting into yeah. for the uh, hacker? And that and that's the yeah. other thing. It's it's really going to come down to, at least in my opinion, is is a user interface because people will be willing to spend a little more money for security yeah. and the user interface. If 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 the customer experience, if if you want to call it that, um, is I mean, people know what's going on, interfaces slick. And and you feel that it's secure. That that to me is where the the goal sh you know should be if you yeah. want more people to, to participate. Because I'd pay a little more money for security as long as I understood what was going on. <laughs> you know, if you yeah. I think so, that's the main kind of 
one of the main roadblocks is like the U. So like we could do all this atomic swappiness and like use two chains now, but it would like be on the command line and like right. <laughs> not be very friendly. But to do that in a way that's kind of like slick and you know back end where I, with regular user, people don't have to worry about that. Yeah. Yeah, and like. Once you do that, you're going to have to expect like exponential growth. But if you had exponential growth, then like, you know, maybe all the node software would crash and all this kind of stuff. So it's, yeah, yeah. but catch yeah. 22. But it's definitely coming. I think, I think now is a bear market, which generally is good because that means more development seems to happen. Yeah. So, yeah. A lot of exciting things. And I said with Indie Square, hopefully in like, well, we're going to demo at Tokyo Game Show, which is end of September, and then we're going to do a, a hackathon in like October, November, just but basically aimed at developers can make simple games with like tokens and lightning and things like this. Awesome. I'm wondering when the, um, when there's going to be a CryptoCon where a people crypto get con. where people get dressed up as various characters. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that would be awesome. DJ Pepe will definitely be there. Yeah, because that <laughs> Tokyo would be the place for something like that. There are actually, we have kind of like this like crypto, uh, this idol groups. So they have like a kind of like a, a, a Miss Bitcoin and a Miss Ethereum and a Miss Ripple and they're all dressed in like a Ripple or like a Bitcoin kind of style. So wow. they have them in Japan already and people kind of vote for the group with their tokens. costumes. Are those associated at all with like the Oasis mining or whatever, like cards, like the pictures? Like I saw like they have yes, like... probably, yeah. Oh. Uh, I saw like, them were based on the, yeah, yeah, like kind of like anime, like yeah. really like uh, yeah. the anime style of women, and then they'd have like the yeah, yeah. ripple. You could have everybody dressed up as spells of Genesis yeah. characters. That'd be awesome. There could be a lot of fun with the uh, character-driven uh, convention because that's one way to bring it, you know, attention to what's what's going on is the yeah. is the 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 characters, the characters in these yeah, games. Yeah, yeah, you kind of need like a meme or something to follow you know so so where, so where i'm at with all this is kind of what i'm gathering from you. we're gonna start wrapping this up here in a second we, got, we definitely i could pick your brain a lot longer i think and so could <laughs> cynthia but we've we're about to hit almost an hour and a half on this um counterparty is you what the core belief and stuff kind of along the lines is that we got to build it better to really before it really you want to even bring in the mainstream because it could crash and burn. Like, I, and you don't want that. And I think that's, that's as an engineer, I suppose. Yeah, that's kind of what an engineers <laughs> are maybe a bit too hesitant, right? You know, yeah. we kind of we never want to release. Yeah. Um, but well, that's kind of more of an indie square thing. It, it's not necessarily just counterpart. It's also like indie squares backend. It's like it's natural for any startup. You kind of like you start small and you make a prototype and you get kind of popular. But then things start breaking. So then you have to like raise a bunch of money and hire a bunch of new people and kind of rebuild it. That's kind of what we're doing now. Um, but hopefully once that's rebuilt, it's... But I kind of, yeah. I guess my point is that on the other chains that are doing some of this stuff, you know, they're not really as worried about that as it doesn't seem. Like kind of just like... It should be. Yeah. And that, so that's a, <laughs> well, that's a, like, that's a very... So many, <laughs> there's so many companies in Japan that I kind of like sometimes do like advisory roles or speak to companies. And there's so many companies that are planning to launch their like CryptoKitties clone and launch that ERC20 token. I just want to say that you do know when CryptoKitties had like a few thousand daily users, like Ethereum didn't work. Yeah. And then they say, oh, but sharding or something or anyway. 
So I think there's going to be, yeah, um, there's going to be a few issues there. But well, there's a whole kind of, there's a whole ethos of fail fast. This weird yeah. thing that's going out there is encouraging people to to break things and fail fast, and that's usually not how you want your engineers to think. <laughs> fail fast kind of works when you can build fast, right? You fail fast and build fast, but you can't build fast with a blockchain. So you yeah. just. Um, but I'm kind of I'm bullish on counterparty. The main, like, I'm not against Ethereum. I'm interested in Ethereum. I just think yeah. there's a lot of hype, mm-hmm. which is kind of out of balance. But one thing with Counterparty is because it's on Bitcoin, it makes interaction with all these other new things on Bitcoin, like Lightning Network and Bitcoin sidechains. It makes that much more easier. So I think one thing people overlook about Counterparty, which is maybe its biggest feature, is because it's on Bitcoin, it'll be able to interact so much easier with like these side chains and lightning and it's much more difficult to do that with ethereum ethereum is kind of in its own little world and it can't really it's difficult to kind of link with other blockchains because it's so different but counterpart it being on bitcoin and um, there's a, a lot of potential there yeah yeah it's cool um all right well i know it's late out there christian and we gotta uh we gotta we gotta wrap up where we're at too is i the I, I think the li- I don't think we lost any listeners though on this uh, very interesting stuff and um, I just want to get one thing I guess before we get out give me a bold prediction for Counterparty and you know what not even Counterparty just give me a bold prediction for where game gaming and blockchain is in five years oh I think it will I think it will probably look very different but it will be better for it. Like I, I think you'll start to see like a, 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 an explosion of applications on layer two protocols such as Lightning and things like this. Okay. In gaming. You heard it here first. So this is going to be archived, and we're going to go back and <laughs> see if Chris is Nostradamus. Um, you know, I appreciate all this information, and uh, I know the. Uh, I hope the audience appreciated it as well. I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me on. All right. That was a great interview. I'm really happy we had Chris come on. Yeah, no, it was a very good talk. I didn't know how much we'd be able to discuss, but since he's involved with so many things, uh, he's got his finger in just about everything going on and was very gracious in, in his in his time in the conversation. Yeah. Shout out to Japan. Shout out to Tokyo. <laughs> Check out AOTB. Hopefully, we and maybe one of y'all can translate this into uh, Japanese. Because we, we obviously need to reach y'all out there after hearing this interview. But yeah, I think we're signing off, right? Yep. Until, Until next, next time. time.